And at this time, I'll invite you to take a Bible and to open it to the Gospel of Luke, where we will read chapter 5, 32 verses out of Luke chapter 5. Our message today is entitled Extraordinary Things because Luke gives us four brief stories in a row of wonderful, spectacular, amazing things that happen in the life and ministry of Jesus. This is on page beginning on 860, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you. And again, Luke 5, 1 through 32. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he, sat, he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their uh, partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray." On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof to let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus." And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts, which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. 
And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's where we'll conclude our reading today. Four different stories. It's a lot to try to digest just in one reading because amazing things happen in each of them. But hopefully one of the things that can just quickly solidify in our minds is that no one is the same again when they really encounter Jesus. That Four different stories, four different situations of what happens, but the truth that who these people were before they encountered Jesus and who they were after was totally different. And so the quote in the back of your handout says, whatever the gospel is, it is about major alteration. It is about a significant encounter with Jesus that leads to a change for the rest of their lives. Now, some of us aren't sure we believe that. We know that the weather changes all the time, especially in Northeast Ohio. I mean, it almost feels like Easter Sunday this morning, doesn't it? January 31st. The weather changes, situations and larger circumstances change, but if we get down to it and we ask ourselves, do you really believe people change? That someone can go from being one way to being another way. And that people can over time, or even sometimes in a dramatic way, in a short period of time, change. And in the course of our life, we have sort of mixed messages. <laughs> we, we have seen it in some people, But in others, and sometimes even of ourselves, we're just surprised at the ways in which we continue to struggle with similar things over a long period of time. But relationally as well with other people, we can get to a point with another person where we just say, you know what, that's who they always are and that's who they always will be, and they just aren't going to change. And that's a question that as a society we face when we think about the types of punishment that we give people, whether or not we believe that though they're guilty of something, there's any possibility of change. And if we don't, then we punish them a certain way. And if we do, then we punish them another way. But here, the situation is for all of them that their lives dramatically change because they encounter Jesus. And the good news of the gospel is, in part, that change is possible. Not everyone does change. No, some people just continue to fight the same battles over and over again. They keep relying on their own strength. They keep just doing what they've always done. And so they do not experience change. But when people really discover who Jesus is and allow him to have his way, people can change. What it takes for us is different depending on our Situation, depending on what it is that we specifically struggle with. And it might be different things at different phases in our life. Most of you won't know this about me, but I, I grew tall. I'm not tall, but I grew uh, pretty quickly and, and young in life so that I was this tall in eighth grade. Uh, so some Sunday mornings, I'm not exaggerating, the jacket I'm wearing is like I was wearing it when I was 15 years old. And it still, it just fits from that point in time. So I was always kind of in my class through elementary school bigger than most of the kids around me. So I didn't always realize when I was being a jokester or playing around how much bigger at times that I was to people. And so I was kind of a mean kid 
for a number of years, and you didn't necessarily want to be around me. And one time, joking around, somebody was saying something to make fun of me. His name was Chris, and I just like, smacked him like this, and I hit him, not thinking that this was... No, not that Chris. Uh, I said, Chris and I were in the same grade. No, it wasn't Chris. Um, a different one. And I hit him, what I thought was an innocent thing, and I just saw him start to cry and then run up to the teacher. And I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the uh, principal called home for. If there just was a call home, I was in trouble. So I was just already trying to present my defense you know, story in my head. But I, I honestly was like, why is he crying so much? And so then I was pulled aside by the teacher. And what I didn't realize was that there was also a pencil in my hand. And that pencil was sticking out. And so when I went and hit him, and he pulled his shirt down, you could see where I had nailed him with a, a pencil. And it just broke me. It's like, what kind of a jerk am I that I just did that to him? And thankfully, that experience and seeing him crying and seeing that made me want to change and not do that anymore to people. And that was good because then I did stop growing. And everybody eventually was taller than me. And I don't think I could intimidate anybody now. But like in fourth grade, I could intimidate anybody. But no, not past sophomore year, just not possible. But that was something that in me was a dramatic experience that said, I don't, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the mean kid anymore. Why would I do, make someone's day horrible just because I'm goofing around? And in this chapter in the Gospel of Luke, we see several different stories of people coming to Christ, some of them knowing they need change, desiring change, but others that uh, don't. We don't know. The, the very first one... Um, what people are coming to Jesus for is to hear the word of the Lord is what's said. So they're coming to hear this teacher. He's a great teacher. He can say things about God in ways that are different than other people. And so Jesus, in order to accommodate the large crowd, has to separate himself from them by getting on a boat so that he can be just a little bit distant and project now to all of them. And so here's this guy named Simon Peter who allows the use of his boat, but He's not showing up there, and he's not there for any other reason. This is his job. He's a fisherman. This is his boat. Someone asked him to use it. He's willing to allow it to happen. And then we don't know what Jesus said. That Luke doesn't tell us what the message was. And there's one of those you know, parts in the Bible where you're like, man, I'd really love to know <laughs> what he said. Because there has to be something that he said in this message that started to get Peter's mind, the wheel spinning in his own mind. But eventually... Jesus says to him, okay, the, the, you know, the sermon's done. Now, how about we go out in the boat and we put down the nets? To which Peter's like, no, wait a minute, now you're talking about what I know. <laughs> this is what I do for a living, and we've been working hard all day. I, there's not really uh, much point in us doing that. And yet, for some reason, he's willing to kind of go along with it. And so they go out, they drop the net, and what happens ends up creating a response in Peter that is similar to what's recorded in Isaiah chapter 6 when the prophet in Isaiah gets this vision of God in his uh, dwelling in heaven. Because Peter doesn't just say, oh my goodness, can I employ you to be like work for my crew? I mean, you know things I don't know. We could make a lot of money together. That would have been one way that he could have responded, but he doesn't. Because putting together the things that Jesus said, 
seeing the crowd gather to hear his words, and in the mind of a first century fisherman, and would have been true of almost all of them, the sea for them was this thing that they all had tremendous respect for. It was, it was sort of the place of the unknown. Just, I mean, still today, you look out at the ocean and you I wonder what's under there. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm still intimidated. I just watched Jaws way too young in my life to ever now really feel like going very far out in the ocean because you're like, I don't, I don't know what's under there. It's this place of the unknown. And so that Jesus knows the unknown, that he has power even over the creatures in the sea, is starting to get Peter to realize he's not just dealing with a good fisherman, and he's not just dealing with someone who is able to teach about the words of God, but he is someone whose words bear the weight of God. When, wow, when he says something, it happens. That, that's, God does that. It's God who said, let there be light, and there was light. It's God who said, let there be, and there was. And so he's beginning to realize that he is encountering someone who's much more than just a human being. Last week, the focus of the message was on the humanity of Christ and the extent to which he suffered and the extent to which he was tempted for our sake. This chapter is very, very different. Now Luke is saying to Theophilus, now don't misunderstand that. He was fully human, but he was more than human. And Peter begins to realize this, and so Peter doesn't say, please join my crew, please start doing what I'm doing. He says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And then Jesus says to him, don't be afraid, from now on you'll be catching men. Interesting word choice that not only does Jesus tell him you're going to go from catching fish to catching men, but he changes the word for catching so that the very word that's used up in chapters 9 and 10 is different than at the very end of 10 when he says catching men. The word there is that you will take them alive. And so we still have that. You know, when a, a general gives an order to his soldiers and he says, I'm sending you after this person, but you have to bring them back alive. So you have to catch them, but don't kill them in catching them. We, we want information from them. We want something from them. And he's saying to them, the type of catching you're going to do is not a catching in which the fish dies and you get to eat dinner, but you're going to take people alive. You're going to bring life to them by seizing them and catching them. And that's what I want you to do. And so rather than Peter saying, Jesus, come do all this stuff I want you to do, Peter says, he leaves everything. And he says, I'm going to follow you. <laughs> I'm going to do whatever you say to do. I'm going to go wherever you say to go. And his life is different from that point on. He doesn't understand everything. He just knows enough at this point in time to give up everything. But that's still pretty significant. (laughs) There's a lot he's going to learn along the way, but he has now seen something he can't deny. And it changes the course and the trajectory of his life, of his vocation. Then someone comes and is asking for change. It's someone who's a leper. It's someone who's banished from his community, is not allowed to get close to certain people or go into the temple because he has a disease that forces him to be uh, isolated from other people. And he comes begging for Christ to do something. And Christ does. He says to him, I will be clean. Again, wow, who is this that can just speak it? So the first thing we see is this extraordinary power Jesus has the power 
to speak and something happens in the sea. He has the power to speak and someone is healed. This is extraordinary power, but it's also extraordinary compassion. Because the implications of what this means for the leper is now that he as an isolated person can have a restored relationship with all of the people he's been having to stay away from. And so he doesn't drop everything and follow him like Peter did. Peter had everything going. He had a business, he had people involved, and Peter realizes, I'm dropping everything and I'm going after Jesus. Jesus heals the leper and he says, go back. Go back and go be with all the people that you've longed to be with but you've not been able to be with for some time now because of what you've been suffering. And so with that extraordinary powers, extraordinary compassion, and that he would do so even by reaching out, stretching out his hand and touching him, that in the very way that he healed him, showed him that even if you have a disease, you're still fully a human being. And that only Jesus could touch someone and make that other person clean as opposed to making himself unclean. And so he extends that compassion to him and even says to the person, you know, don't go around telling everyone about this, which is not one of the points up there, but it's an extraordinary level of humility. (laughs) Imagine the temptation when you do start to demonstrate to people that you really have power. That if they really just knew who you were and knew what you could do, how they would interact with you differently. And the humility that it takes to not lead with that. The humility that it takes to not say, if, if you just need to know who I am before we go any further in this relationship. Jesus says to him, no, 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 I did this for you. I healed you so that you could have now a life that wasn't possible for you before. So don't, don't even worry about telling anyone. Like, I'm not doing this for me. I'm not doing this so more people will come after me or follow me. I did this for you. It was out of compassion that he used his power to serve this person. Then the next story is an amazing time where Jesus is inside a home and he's teaching and the, for every effort he's making for the word to not spread, the word is spreading. More and more people want to see him this person with extraordinary power and compassion, so much so that when this group of friends can't get into the house, they pull back the tiles to drop their friend in. And it's just one of those, you know, I wonder if Peter's there and he's saying, you know, I used to throw things down in the water to catch things. He said I was going to catch men and now someone's like throwing a person through the roof. What what is going on here? What, What kind of things happen when you surround yourself with Jesus? But it's an amazing demonstration of faith that they have, that they'll do whatever they need to do as friends to bring wholeness and healing to the man who's paralyzed. And Jesus looks up and says that your sins are forgiven. And it offends the majority of the room. They start to talk amongst themselves. Well, who could say this? Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Then verse 22 says, When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which again, if you're in the room, is, wait a minute. He knows the unknown in terms of what's in the sea, and he knows the unknown of what's inside my heart. Like he knows what I'm thinking. It's extraordinary knowledge. And yes, he has it. I mean, that would intimidate, it should intimidate all of us if someone knew everything we were thinking. 
We, we get to usually filter, and some of us better than others, the things that come out of our mouth. But really, imagine if someone knew every thought that came into our minds. Because we know there's things that come into our mind that even scare us. And you're like, where? I have no idea where that just came from. And so if you encounter someone who's making clear to you that he can perceive your thoughts, and he knows what you wrestle with deep down inside your heart, it would rightly intimidate you. But again, all along, Jesus is demonstrating that he has power, yes, but with that power is compassion. And so though he knows and can perceive their thoughts and know what's in their hearts, he's inviting them to believe in him, to accept him for who he is, that he does have the authority to forgive sins. So that even if what he knows is the sinful thoughts that we have, he has also the power to forgive the sin that he sees in us. And so Jesus is that one person who can simultaneously intimidate us and if you will bring us to our knees but also lift us up and encourage us because he tells us that even though he knows those things that doesn't make him want to run away from us. That doesn't make him want to isolate himself from us but that he loves us in spite of our brokenness and that he calls us to repentance from our sin. And then we see this as he goes now to Levi. He goes to the tax collector. He's sitting at a booth. He's just doing his job. And this is another one where, man, we'd love a lot more information because verse 27 just says, he goes up to him and says, follow me. And verse 28, and he left everything and followed him. Well, okay. Some, what, <laughs> what hap- something more had to happen than you just being able to go up and say, follow me, and he did. We don't know for sure all that... Levi would have had access to and information of these events that are beginning to transpire that all these people are talking about. But we get, again, this sense that Jesus has power. When he says, follow me, people follow him. And this isn't something Levi's doing begrudgingly. He hosts a party with all of his friends to let them know about the change that is about to take place in his life. And so he has a great feast, a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. And here again, we see all of these things in Jesus, this this extraordinary goodness on his part. It's one thing to be able to help people, but sometimes, if we're honest, we almost help people as a way to no longer have to deal with them anymore. Like, okay, you're just going to keep annoying me if I don't do so. I need to do something, and then if I do something, you'll move on. But here... Jesus is desiring to be with them, to have a relationship, to be associated with them. And even his own reputation is put at risk in his association with them. Not to heal them and to call them to something so that they could never come back, but to be with them, to let them know that, yes, he has come for them, the tax collectors and the sinners. He's not worried about how other people are going to view him if he hangs out with them. Because again, he has so much extraordinary goodness that he is that person who makes everyone else around him better. He doesn't give in to what everyone else might be encouraging him to do. He's the one that can sit in the room and all of a sudden other people start to change the way they talk, the way they think, the way they treat one another. He has that kind of goodness that later the Apostle Paul would say to the whole church in Romans, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good 
that there is more power in what is good and true and right than in what is evil and wrong. Believe that. Believe that there is a goodness that can overwhelm and transform and change even those who are wicked, even those who suffer. And if we have any doubts about it, he puts it in the simplest terms. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners to repentance. This is why I'm here. So whether it's the leper who needs cleaning, whether it's the paralyzed man who needs healing, whether it's Peter who needs to realize that even the things he's successful at aren't eternally significant and he needs to be called into something deeper, or whether it's the person who is a little bit unethical, hasn't been treating people well for a long period of time, but can change. If he discovers who Jesus is, what Jesus is capable of, and what it really means to follow him. That, that, that's why he's here. And so the rest of the gospel unfolds in this way of Jesus demonstrating his full humanity, but also his power, his extraordinariness, that he can make things come alive that seem dead, and he can change hearts that need to be changed. This is who Jesus is, and we're challenged as to whether we really believe it or not. Many people can say Jesus taught a number of good things. You know, they, that Jesus was a wise person or that Jesus was even a helpful person. But to believe that, no, he, he wasn't just sent from God. He was God sent to us. And that he was sovereign and compassionate and good and forgiving and loving. Not just another teacher, not just another uh, mighty person but a completely and totally unique individual. Because when we don't believe that about him, what we do is we come to him trying to almost believe like, you know, it's an advantage to him if we decide to follow him. (laughs) You know, if we just think of him as another teacher, another ordinary person, it's so easy for us to look at ourselves and, and think almost that he should be congratulated for having us on his team. And then when we serve him over time, we excuse the things that we haven't changed in. So, well, he doesn't really care about that, and he doesn't really care about that. Like we, we flip it. He comes to us and says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. I'm inviting you into a new life. But in that new life, I'm going to give you new resources, and I'm going to give you new abilities, and you're going to see growth in that life. And it's going to go up and down, but over the long haul, you're going to grow. You're going to change if you take this seriously. Instead, what we like to think of is that, no, 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 he just, he's fine with everything we do. He doesn't care if we go on sinning. And we don't really need him, in fact, to save us. It's Jesus alone who can totally convict us of our sin and yet call us, even though he loves us in spite of our sin, to stop sinning. That none of us would use his grace or power or compassion as an excuse to go on hurting other people or hurting ourselves or ignoring his counsel. And we have to hold on to both of those, that he loves us just the way that we are. We don't have to do anything else to get him to love us. But precisely because he loves us the way that we are, that we would open up the whole of our lives to say, okay, so do whatever you can do with every part of how I think and what I do and, and make me more like you. 
because you love me unconditionally, because you care about me. I find this illustrated best. Most of my theological research now is children's literature. Um, So sorry, sermons will be very different 15 years from now. Um, But I didn't have this book growing up. No one ever read it to me. So someone bought it for the boys, and so I sat down and read it. And uh, so if you're not familiar with it, it's a simple story. Corduroy is a bear in in the toy section of a big department store. And Lisa comes into the store and looks at him and says, this is the bear I've always wanted. And her mom says, well, no. Um, One, we've already bought too many things today, so I don't want to buy another thing. Besides, look at him. He's missing a button. And they walk away and they don't buy him. And so Corduroy, that's the first time he realizes that he has something wrong with him. And so the store closes that night and he goes on a a journey throughout the store to find a button that he can put back on him because he didn't realize that there was something wrong with him and he's hoping that someone will like him and take him as he is. And so then there's a variety of things that happen and kind of trouble that he gets into as he goes throughout the department store throughout the evening trying to find his button. Suffice to say, he doesn't get it. He gets put back down and the store opens the next day. And Lisa comes right back. And she got all the money from her piggy bank. And even though her mom the day before had said no, she comes in and says, you're the bear I've always wanted. And I'm taking you home with me. And the person selling her the bear is trying to offer her, you know, packaging to take it with. And she just runs out the door. She's so excited that she's got it. She's so excited that she can take it home. And so the first thing she does when she gets him home is she shows him the room. And she says, this is where your bed is going to be. This is your new home now. And then she sits him down in his lap. And she gets out a button. And she gets out a needle. And she says, I like you the way that you are. But you'll be more comfortable with your shoulder strap fastened. And she sews it for him. And it's just a beautiful picture. I like you just like you are. I really do. But you need to change. You need something more. It's better for you if I do this. And that is the love of our Heavenly Father for us. Whatever our background, whatever our story, whatever our situation, He genuinely does love us the way that we are. There's nothing we can do to make Him love us more. But for us, for us, it's so much better if we surrender to Him our will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You and we thank You for the truth of Your Word and who You are and how You love us. We thank you for coming on this earth and doing extraordinary things so that people could not deny who you were and that their lives were different because of what they heard and what they saw and what they encountered in you. And we pray that you would do the same for us, that we all have different situations and circumstances from which we come. Only you could know them all. Only you could perceive our various thoughts and our various hearts. But only you can ultimately provide hope and a solution for all of our struggles and all of our sin. And so we pray that you would help us all individually and collectively to yield ourselves to you, to take what we know about you and to trust you with everything that we don't know yet. In your son's name we pray, amen.